All right. Hello to our Real Talk listeners. Uh, Welcome to Real Talk, an HR podcast where we bring the best of human resources to your organization. My name is Maria Rodriguez. I'm here with my business partner, Michelle Elder. And we also have a special guest today, Nicole Metzel. On today's podcast, we're going to address the topic of corporate America. And in the last, I would say in the past five years, there has been a mass exodus in corporate America and an increase in entrepreneurship. And as you've heard in previous podcasts, um, we talk a lot about how at Real Talent, we can help you with your business. Um, but we've also talked, you know, obviously it's no secret. We're very controversial. We say the things that people don't always expect us to say because we created our company on the sole mission to ensure we create those opportunities for companies to improve the areas why people are leaving and to help their business. So we invited Nicole Metzel here today on our podcast to talk about why both her and her husband decided to become entrepreneurs and leave corporate America, where that is like such a fear in people. Do they really want to leave an organization where they get paid vacation or PTO time and they get benefits and part of the company pays some of that? Or, you know, they have this job stability and security. And it's almost interesting because, you know, in times that are ever-changing, is there really ever job stability or security within an organization? So I've invited, obviously, Nicole Metzl to to share her story. So Nicole, feel free to introduce yourself to the listeners. Hey, everybody. My name is Nicole Metzl, also known as hashtag hot mess success. I am an entrepreneur, a network marketing coach, and a um, network marketer myself. With Chalk Couture, I focus in the DIY high-end home decor space. And my husband that Maria mentioned is um, a lawn and landscape company owner. He owns Metzl's Lawn Management. We are out of central Wisconsin. Um, And I have been an entrepreneur. I left corporate America about three years ago. And my husband left about three months after I did, actually. So it was pretty quick. Wow. Yeah. So was that, uh, did that create a hardship for the, for your family? You know, actually it was the biggest blessing. And, and I say that because my husband and I juggled everything with being in corporate America from the standard nine to fives to the retail space, to scheduling and parent teacher conferences and who's going to cook dinner and who's going to clean and who's going to do this. And when we left, all of a sudden we got control of our time. It was amazing. Because I still, I work more than I did in a 40-hour work week, but I do it on my time. So if nine to five doesn't work for me, it's noon to eight, or it's broken up with two hours here, and then I run my kid wherever he needs to go, and I cook dinner, and I come back, and I work at nine. And so we actually were able to strengthen our relationship as a family because we could make our schedules work for us. That's so great. I know that's a struggle that many people face in their day-to-day is, yeah, nine to five. Like Those are the hours during a week where the banks are open and everything you need is open and you're stuck at work all day too with the rest of the population. So I have a doctor's appointment, but I have to take PTO. 
Well, when would you like me to go to the doctor? Because if I'm sick, I can't work. I can't, I can't handle nine to five life. It's not for me. (laughs) So why did you leave? What were some pain points that caused you to leave, you know, corporate America and take up this entrepreneurial lifestyle? I'm going to be completely honest in saying that I had a laundry list. Like this wasn't a one size fits all answer for me. And the first, the very first one was company culture. Every company I worked for, it did not matter what space or industry it was in. And I will tell you, I have done a lot. I work for small, medium, and very large corporations. And every single person in there, regardless of what the marketing to your employees said, was a number. Period. End of discussion. We were not humans. And that included managers and middle management and upper manager. Everybody was disposable. And that was a huge problem for me. The second thing was the politics in the workplace. Because a lot of times, managers in particular, they allow their biases to impact their employment decisions. And so I would often see, not even when it it affected me, but I would often see people get promoted or demoted or fired, not based on job performance, but ultimately because somebody else was liked better or closer to somebody, even though they did not have the skills necessary to do the job. And the third thing was feeling stifled. I didn't feel like I could speak my truth in corporate America when there was a problem. I didn't feel like I could honestly and openly not only answer that there was a problem, but also be part of the solution. Like a lot of times you'd say, hey, I have this problem. They'd go, we're working on it. Mm -hmm. But I have an idea way above your pay grade. We're working on it, right? And so I felt like, Ultimately, I was this robot. I clocked in, I did my job, and I left. And heaven forbid I spoke. Heaven forbid I was human, right? I would be disposable. And I thought to myself, why am I letting corporate America dictate whether or not I make an income where I have to feel like I walk on eggshells or I will lose that income? Why don't I have my own income generation where I can say what needs to be said, where I can feel empowered and I can empower other people to do that. And Mm -hmm. nobody can take that away from me because they didn't like something. Can I just tell you, um, so Michelle, uh, Keith and I, we obviously own Real Talent and we left, we all work together at FedEx. Great company. Not going to talk bad. Fred Smith is as brilliant with his um, brilliant. ideas on how he's created and, and generated the shipment industry and, and moving things. Uh, with Flexibility, people. creativity, Flexibility. amazing. Uh, however, we had such narrow mind in our um, HR departments at FedEx and uh, specifically in learning and development that caused us to leave the organization and constantly search for um, another company that brings on the values that we value. So we've, you know, and it took, uh, Keith left first and, uh, you know, for some other political corporate reasons, uh, not on the corporate line. I left voluntarily on my own for poor leadership 
skills and communication. And then it took a lot for me to wrangle Michelle out of corporate America. I'd been there 20 years. It was, it was all I knew. It was, and you know, Nicole, you and I were talking about this earlier. I was raised by um, baby boomers. So I was raised to believe that you stay with someone until you get the gold watch and the pat on the back and the, and the pension plan. Right. And it took some really tough situations for me to realize that I truly was a number. And I think uh, the moment that I realized that was uh, we were all sent um, on a Thursday night when we, they suspected we were not online. We were all sent varying appointments at staggering times. Um, and we were told in the appointment that we were not supposed to discuss it with other people. And then during the phone calls, we were told if we talked to anyone on our teams, that whatever they were offering us would be taken away. Um, and later what we found out was, um, years, years later, we found out that uh, the people that had the early phone calls were the ones they wanted to keep. And in case they said no, like in case they couldn't do the new job description, they were going to offer it to the next group of people and in case they said no. And so that was the reason they had staggered us from like 8 a.m. till 3 p.m. was so that here's my first pick, here's my second pick. And that was just all sorts of in your face. You are nothing but a number. And if you said no, you were told you could apply for a job that you were not automatically guaranteed a job. Um, so it was just wake up call. And here's where I think corporate America has failed us because you said a couple of things that I think are critically important, okay? The first is you were raised by boomers. And this is important because in that time, not only did employees loyally serve the company, the company loyally served the employees, exactly. right? And that's where that mentality came from, that I'm good to the company and the company is good to me and we have this mutually beneficial relationship. Today, you serve the company. The company doesn't give a shit about you, let's be real. And even if they claim to, the action doesn't match the words. Very evident by your story, right? And there's stories like this all across the country of people who say, you know, I feel like I'm disposable. I feel like I don't matter. Mm -hmm. I think you hear that a lot in sales. You know, that's where real talent comes in to really help companies in some of these aspects, right? How do we help you as a business help you create, like Nicole mentioned, that loyalty that serves the employees. And I think that's where companies have the downfall, um, an area of opportunity to develop and grow. And Nicole's looking at me like, that's just not going to happen. But <laughs> I think you know, there's, there's so many companies that do it well, which we'll talk about a little later in this podcast. But obviously, there's a number of companies that aren't doing it well it's far and few between. And it's such a controversial topic on really how do we focus, you know, like going back to, to what you mentioned, Nicole, I think the, the, the biggest, you know, just kind of working in, in different types of, of companies over the last couple of years, 
I think salespeople feel that the most, that they're just a number because they're so driven on getting something and their number completely increases either month by month or year by year. And they have this mentality of the, the business only wants to focus on that profitability and that revenue and not necessarily they don't care if I stick around, they'll find another salesperson who can do my job 10 times better. So funny enough, I have a couple stories about that because I used to be a retail manager in sales. And I had somebody who was so dedicated, such a hard worker, right? Numbers were always spot on. And they had raised a concern three levels above me, okay, to a regional manager via email. Because they had dared, my boss came to me and said, you need to find a way to coach them out. Not based on performance, not based on numbers, not based on their sales data and quotas. No, no, because they spoke up. I think it plagues the sales industry because even great salespeople are at risk Mm -hmm. because your job is simply to bring in money. It's interesting. Marie and I have a slightly different opinion on this one as well, but the one of the reasons that we all, Keith, Marie, and I came together with Real Talent is we have seen it done right. The problem is we've seen it done right in pockets. Like some people will get the vision and mission right, and then they'll screw up something else. Some people will train leadership really well, but they won't link it to a bigger purpose. So seeing it done right over and over in small pockets it validates it can be done. And we firmly believe, particularly with small to medium businesses, as Maria talked about at the beginning, there's an influx of people who who do, like you, want to own and, and decide how they spend their day, how they spend their life. And so they have exited corporate America to start their own things. And now we believe is the time to get in there with those businesses and help them understand all of the elements that are right. So as they expand to medium or even to large businesses, they've got the foundation in place. So we want to bring our experiences with good and bad to show those small companies, here's how you move yourself forward. And I think the most critical piece of that is, and and we talked about this a little bit earlier, put the human back in human resources. Can we please, okay? Like, I remember a time where people used to say, go to HR, they will help you. Call HR, their job is to assist you. Now, I feel like no matter what company I was with, I would call HR and they flipped to the the script that was in that issue and they read it to me and that was the end of that, right? And so I think it's, it's really important as you're helping some of these small businesses and medium businesses, understanding that we cannot lose our humanity as business owners because that's why people leave. You know, there's there's a couple of things on that, um, which I'm going to be total totally controversial on this one right now. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Good. Yep. I'm about to say it. So 
small and medium businesses, you know, you hear about these mom and pop shops that come about and they value the employee so much that now the employees have run the company. So they take off unlimited amount of time, right? They use unlimited FMLA because they're sick or they come and go as they please. And there are two, there's two aspects there. Either a small business, a small business will allow that to happen because they don't have the proper protocols in place, or they have, you know, the other issue where they just let people go and they don't think about things like uh, FMLA if they're a size, a specific, you know, organization size, um, or or the right processes in place. So I think yes, it's important to value the people, but not have the people run your business in that way. You know, there's, there is so many people that push back on me as we acquire and merge businesses and say, well, you know, I, I, I let Susie do this so many times. She's a good worker. She lets that whatever. And it, it, you know, there's a, there's sometimes a hard stop for me in saying, yeah, it's great. We have so much great empathy for our people and we want to value them and we want to give them unlimited time off or give them the time they need. But if you're not going to be consistent with Susie and John or if you're just going to let this happen, that gives us no direction for the organization. And I know so many people are listening on the call right now and they're just saying, Maria, you're crazy because you don't sit there. You're sitting here putting on a podcast about how you value people. And then you're talking about how you need to put boundaries in place, um, strict boundaries. Um, so I, I think there's balance, but you know, it can be considered very controversial because those two issues come up quite often. Look, there's two things here, right? One, I value my child, but he still has boundaries. I love him unconditionally, but there are certain things that he just cannot do, right? That doesn't mean that I don't value him. It means that we have a mutual understanding of how far he can go and how far I can go. I value my husband. That does not mean that he can just come and go as he pleases without any sort of rhyme or reason to it, right? Because we are partners in this. So we've got to stop saying that boundaries mean lack of value. And here's the other thing. There is a big perception problem in corporate America, like I talked about, right? People who are liked more, people who get away with more. I, Nicole, don't see why Susie only has to work 10 hours a week in the office and I have to show up for 40. Why do you like Susie more? Why do you, and that's a big problem for your other employees. You cannot play favorites because for every one employee that you are so empathic with and you are so caring of, you've got 10 others that go, why don't I get that treatment? No, I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. We've got to understand that businesses need boundaries and they need consistency across the board on how they treat their employees. Because that's how you get disgruntled workers. Yeah. Something that one of, my, one of my leaders in a previous life told me, she goes, people don't leave companies, man. They leave leaders. And I'm very millennial, okay? So like, I'll own that. But millennials in particular are really empowered to say, if you're a bad manager, if you're a bad leader, I'm out. Right. I'm gone. Or they're more empowered to speak. For example, like every year, most companies do that lovely engagement survey. Oh gosh, the, the eye roll. I did Look, see that and saw it. I appreciate this concept of 
pulse checking your employees and going, okay, we're going to send out this survey and we're going to tell everyone it's anonymous and we used SurveyMonkey and they didn't have to put in their email address, okay? But everybody knows that's BS, right? Everybody knows or at least believes that there is some way to figure out that I said this and I'm in trouble for it. They're not honest. People come back, like I've worked for companies that on the floor were all like, God, we hate our job and we hate this place and we wish it would just burn to the ground, right? And the engagement survey comes up and it's like, everybody loves us. We're doing a great job. We have 91% satisfaction. The hell you do? The hell you do? If there was a way to truly pulse check anonymously, I think companies would be in for a rude awakening. I think there there are surveys out there that actually do truly pulse check anonymously. I think it's more of the fear of the employees in that organization of retaliation because if there is a manager of let's say eight individuals, they could probably Yeah. And that's what I mean is it's never truly anonymous, right? Somebody can always kind of figure it out, especially if you've spoken up before, right? Right. You have dared to speak up before and then you put that in a survey. They know it was you because you already raised this concern. And a lot of times these surveys are like, okay, it's completely anonymous. What department do you work in? Who is your boss? How long have you been with the company? Well, geez, if I say I've been here less than a year in this department and you only hired three of us, what are the odds you can't figure out who it is? You know, we've got to get better at that, I think, because I don't think anybody takes those engagements. I know nobody takes those seriously. It has become a pat on the back for corporate America. We're going to send it out and then they're going to tell us how awesome we are. So one of the things that you said earlier, um, and it's it's a topic that I just adore talking about, is culture. Um, and I like talking about it because, frankly, most of us get it so wrong. So talk to me from your point of view where corporate America has gone wrong and where they where they've done it right. So I, I want to start with where they've done it right because I think that we really need to praise the companies that are doing it right. And I worked for a company as an inside sales executive, right? So I was in an office. If I met with customers, it was virtually like this. So no lie, right? I'm wearing sweatpants on the bottom, but a cute shirt on top, right? Let's be real. And so they understood that there were some things they could do, even as simple as dress code that allowed people to be more human. So they were like, hey, if you want to come to work in jeans, come to work in jeans, right? You don't have to be business casual because we understand that you don't interact with customers. They would do things like, you know, when they did employee appreciation, it wasn't like this little thing left on my desk with a note. They would do like a cookout for people and say, take some time away from your desk today. The business will not crash in one day because all of y'all were having a good time, eating some good food and socializing. Every year they gave every comp- everybody a turkey for Thanksgiving. And it was a small token, but it was management and upper management and leadership that was doing that. And they were like, hey, if you don't need it or don't want to use it, please donate it 
to a shelter or a food pantry. So they were constantly reminding people of their value, but also allowing them to be human. And I think that that was by far the hardest job for me to leave because they cared. And then there were other companies that were like super rigid. And I think rigidity is where your culture fails. So I had a company that was like, you get two 15s and a 30. Okay. I work at a desk. I also work from home. I work 60 hours a week and I'm salaried. If I want to go have a cigarette for more than, you know, I don't take my 15, it's a five and I take it three times, bite me because I'm getting the work done. And it was, it got to a point because when you create that culture, it's not just managers, other people start adopting that culture, right? So it got to a point where I had a manager who said to me, well, you know, somebody noticed that you were gone from your desk four times today. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, you get two 15s and a 30. And I got so pissed that I literally started a spreadsheet And every time I left my desk, even if it was to go to the printer, even if it was to go take a leak, I legit put it in this spreadsheet and I would hand it to her every day. And she was like, this is unnecessary. And I was like, no, but clearly it is because your culture is that I have to be monitored at all times. Your culture is that I'm not adult enough to get the job done if I'm not sitting at my desk at your prescribed hours. So. For me, culture is flexibility. Culture is understanding that your employees are grown-ass people and they can make decisions and you're, you're there to make sure they do the job. If they're doing the job, is it that big of a deal that they took 32 minutes for their lunch? Is it, you know, I'm not talking 45, 50 minutes and they did it you know, they took 32 minutes one day. Every other day, it's 28. Culture has become this idea in corporate America where I have to fit this mold of who I am as a person. It's no longer check the boxes, they're doing the job, right? And they're respectful and they're kind and that's fine. I have to fit this mold of what a corporate employee looks like or I don't, I'm not good enough. Guys, I dyed my hair hot pink when I left corporate America because they wouldn't let me. Who the hell cares what my hair color is? (laughs) Great question. I agree with you. And that's what I find as well with culture is that it's often the passive aggressive comments. I always tell people that culture, it's the thing that happens when you're not paying attention. It's how you interact with people when it's not, the leader's not present or, or talking about the rules. It's comments like, I saw that you went left your desk four times, or I haven't seen you all morning. Where were you? Or, oh, you wore that today. Interesting. Um, it's all of these little passive aggressive digs that reinforce you are not fitting in to the mold that we are used to um, and we are comfortable with. And I, you know, I personally struggle with that because I don't fit into a mold. I did for almost 20 years um, at a corporate job that I had. I followed that mold until uh, the last few years. And I remember when I left that job that my next job, they did it right. It was kind of like you described. 
everything you said. We had what we called dress for your day. They treated us like grownups. If you were going to have a meeting with an outside vendor, maybe you did go business. If you were going to be presenting, maybe you were in a suit or a jacket or a blazer or something. But if you were working from the cubicle all day, tennis shoes and a sweatshirt, whatever, um, because they treated us like adults. Uh, They also measured us based on our productivity, not what time we punched the clock. It was, did we hit our deadlines? And did we push ourselves um, when those deadlines got too easy? Um, When it got super simple, did we raise our goals and strive for something better? And so I got used to a culture where I was treated like an adult. And I've decided that I am who I am. It's the toughest thing about an interview uh, because I go into interviews now telling people, this is what you're going to get. I'm not going to use the politically correct words. If you're stupid, I'm going to call it out um, and make sure you understand it. And I need you to know this because I will only adjust a little to fit in with you. I might do some adjustments, but it'll just a little because I'm just like you tired of that passive aggressive shove into the mold. Well, and I'm glad that you said that because I think here's where, God, I'm going to be a little controversial now as if I haven't been already. Let's just call it what it is. How many, especially in corporate America, you guys, how many people are like, we're diverse workforce, right? We celebrate diversity. Okay, Mm. look. Diverse does not just mean skin color and stuff that's covered by a bikini, okay? Diverse means celebrating the differences between humans. Diverse means nobody has to fit a mold. We are not cutting with cookie cutters here. So I get so frustrated when companies, my husband worked for an employer that gave him a freaking diversity card. I'm not even joking. It was literally a diversity card and it was laminated to put in his wallet about how the company celebrated diversity. But everything about it was on race. None of it was about the diversity of the human. We celebrate free thinking. We celebrate new ideas and innovation. We celebrate your ability to bring us a new way. No, no. It's this idea that like we check the boxes and that's diverse enough, but humans by their nature are diverse. The worst thing for culture that an employer can tell an employee is we've always done it this way. It sure is. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many of us get diversity and inclusion completely wrong. You know, it's interesting. I can understand from a, a legal perspective why the numbers game has to be played. Um, Because in so many places, if we didn't say there has to be diversity, people wouldn't have done it, right? They would have just stuck with their status quo, white people welcome here, whatever it happens to be. But the entire thing that makes diversity important is those experiences give everyone a different point of view. I don't want someone whose heritage is African-American to work for me to check a box. I want them to work for me 
because they've had a a 100% different experience than I have. And as a result of that, they are more likely to question me, to challenge me, and to make me think different on what I am comfortable with. And we get that so wrong. We get so focused on, am I passing affirmative action? And am I checking the boxes that we don't talk about why we even need to do that as a society? We need to do that because the differences. Yeah, and I I just feel like a workplace is not truly diverse if opposing opinions are not open to be shared. I don't care what the demographics of your employment look like. I don't care if your staff is 99% men and I'm the only woman on staff. I need to be able to speak my truth. That's what makes you embracing diversity versus checking this box Mm -hmm. that hired me because I'm a woman. It's interesting. One of of my life lessons uh, that made it very clear that difference of thought and politics existed in a corporate environment. It was the first meeting that I was contributing to. I was asked my opinion about a workshop that we taught um, multi-unit leaders. And frankly, it was a horrible workshop. It wasn't horrible content. The class was designed in a way that it wasn't super effective. And as we're sitting in a room of about eight people, they said, Michelle, first time you taught it, first time any of us had taught it, what do you think? And I said, it's bad. It's really bad. And I remember my boss looking at me and she said, you need to choose better words. And then two seconds later, like right as she finishes that statement, the vice president of human resources comes in and sits down and another leader in the room said, hey, we were just collecting everyone's opinion about the new workshop. You were able to see it. What do you think? And she looked at me and she said, this is not about you. That sucked. We need to find someone different. And all of a sudden, everybody was like, okay, it was bad. Let me, and I was like, I just fucking said that. (laughs) And I said it nicer. I went with bad when what I really wanted to do was say, why the fuck would you let someone who is not an L&D expert write a training class? What the fuck were you thinking? But instead, I just said that was really bad. And, And you know, it's funny to me that people, I because I've gotten that, and that's that passive aggressiveness you're talking about where people go, you need to be less negative. No, what you're right. telling me is you just want me to pat you on the back. I'm not a negative person, but I made a true statement. And because it didn't kiss your ass, it was right. negative. Or like, I remember somebody getting passed up for a promotion on a one-to-one interview, not because they were not the most qualified, not because they were not the most tenured, which is bullshit, by the way, but that's the topic for another day. Not because they couldn't do the job, but because in that two-hour interview, they said the word shit once. Oh, I'd be screwed. Right? Like, this is the type of stuff that happens in corporate America that makes people like me leave. It's okay to tell me, hey, 
if it slips, it slips, but please try not to. I'll respect that all day long. But if you treat me like a damn pariah because I pulled you in a room and I needed to vent and you as my leader just needed to hear me. So I just needed to be able to say, fuck this for a hot second so I could get it out. We have a problem because human beings cuss and human don't cuss to your customers, right? We all know that. Don't cuss when you're venting. We all know that, right? But we're humans and we make mistakes. And I feel like corporate America doesn't let people be human and make mistakes, right? You know, it's so funny. The most, one of the, we were talking in another podcast about the buzzword of disruption. And that's such a big buzzword, right? Like we need to disrupt everything. Uh, but people don't want disruption. Uh, they don't, they want to put it on a, they want to put it on their wall, their value wall. Um, but they are so uncomfortable with disruption. Um, and I think that's what we, we need somebody that will come in and shake some sense into people. Well, because, you know, historically, and I'm sure you guys have seen this in HR, right? I've seen it as a manager. The word disruptive is used to describe a problem with an employee. We do it when we're kids, disruptive in class. We do it in the workforce, disrupts productivity disruptive in meetings. We have given this word disruptive, this like natively negative connotation. And I think disrupting the status quo is exactly what a lot of these companies need to do. And they should be happy to have disruptive people who shake things up a little bit. It's not all sunshine and roses. It's not. And I don't understand why we can't say that, right? Like that in and of itself, me sitting on a podcast saying, hey, guess what, corporate America? It is not all sunshine and roses. Like unicorns don't flow out of your asshole, okay? Things go wrong and people need to be able to tell you things go wrong. And Mm -hmm. people need to be able to have raw and real conversations with you regardless of what level of leadership you are in. That in and of itself should not be controversial. But mistakes aren't allowed. And that's the reason people will not go on the link. That's the reason flexibility doesn't happen. If I push this and it doesn't give the return on the investment that it was supposed to, I'm going to be in trouble. Um, so none of that happens because there is no grace. There is no grace in most companies. That is truthfully a huge reason that people leave because instead of progress over perfection, we demand perfection from a generally imperfect being. There is not a damn person that is perfect, including your CEO. And if you're listening to me, I'm telling you that, okay? Like, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your name is and I don't care what your salary grade is. You screw up too. You are human. Who are you to demand perfection of others while simultaneously being unwilling to fix your own imperfections? We have to adopt this idea of progress over perfection. If people are making forward strides, if they're growing, if they're failing forward, learning from those mistakes, then that's a damn good employee. Mm-hmm. So let's exactly. talk about that uh, a little bit further. So we t- we talked a little bit about just in general 
all these areas of opportunities, why people are leaving corporate America. But if we had the top, I don't know, couple of items that the listeners today are focusing on, I would say both from an employee at the company on things that they need to make sure that they value in that organization, as well as an organization on what they need to create and instill for people to stay around. What are some of the pieces? And and let's start off with an employee portion. If we had to shout out a couple of things here today on the main go-tos as an employee, you need to identify in corporate America that are the must-haves, the deal breakers of why you wouldn't stay with an organization or you know why you would stay with an organization, I should say. What are some of those pieces that are the most critical for an employee to identify? I, I think I'm going to go back to the first statement I made. Put the humanity back in corporate America, right? Put the human back in human resources and let people be people because I think that's what it all boils down to. We talked about all of these things about disruptive, about saying bad words or being negative, right? It's that whole progress over perfection piece. And I think the number one thing people are doing in corporate America that is wrong and they need to change or they need to adapt is this idea that we celebrate your uniqueness. We celebrate the value that you bring to this company. We hired you for a reason good, bad, and different, we are going to celebrate all that comes with that. We don't demand this cookie cutter thing. You are your own unique person. You do things a little differently. You talk a little differently. You have new and innovative ideas. And some of them might suck and some of them might be great, but we're going to empower you to share that. And we're going to empower you to help in that solution finding so that we overall can be a better company. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, from an employee side, I think that's a lot of what we need to focus on is what's what's my own value? What's my own thought process? Why am I staying with this company? And do they honor or value my same values? And, and am I able to be myself? Am I able to be unique and be able to speak freely and comfortably? Going back to what you said at the beginning, you know, without fear, right? Without fear of losing their job or fear of any toward uh, repercussion or retaliation. From a business perspective, for those listeners on the call, you know, let's talk a little bit through, you know, obviously we mentioned they need to create that business and reduce the fear and create more open areas of opportunity for them to value their employees, to value freedom of speech in their business and, uh, and ideas and to be different. Is there anything else we can give our listeners you know, who are working in the HR departments or who are owners of their businesses that we can really tell them like, you need to do this for people to continue to stay with you? Because that real talent, we give them the tools, the ideas, We focus on the people and we help businesses get out of their own way in some cases so that they can put people as a priority. So what are, what what else would you both recommend as well? I think we've got to stop seeing the employee employer relationship as like a cut and dry contract, right? And more of a relationship with give and take. And I think that goes for employees, but it also goes for employers. In every relationship that we enter in into our lives, we demand to be heard and our partner demands to 
to be heard as well. And so I think there's a whole mindset shift that has to occur in understanding that this is an actual relationship that you're entering into and that you need to treat it as such versus this is my employee, this condescending, unequal space. Your employees drive your business. Your employer compensates you for that. And that partnership is what makes everything work. So we've really got to go back to this idea of partnership. We talked about boomers, right? The company takes care of you and you take care of the company. This idea of partnership and of a relationship that's mutually beneficial for all involved. Great. Yeah. I think those are, you know, critical components, um, you know, for all of us to think through and talk through, especially as we help support our, our business leaders and our departments throughout this process. So those are some great pieces. I think we've had some really awesome discussion today. What about some actual tools or resources that you all would recommend to business leaders or anybody listening to this call today? Any book recommendations? Michelle, start us off. I've done a lot of talking today. You know what? One of my favorite people, and it's actually something you've talked about in a couple of segments today, authenticity. I am a huge Brene Brown fan. I do not get paid for this, Brene. If you're looking to pay anyone, I'm available. Um, (laughs) But currently, I do not get paid. I just have an author crush on you. Dare to Lead is pretty amazing. I think all of her books are. Uh, but she is very genuine about bringing who you are. And Maria, you said something earlier too. You said you need to align. You need to make sure you know what you, what's important to you and that you're working for a company that has or respects those values. And that's something that she talks about a lot is knowing who you are and bringing your true self to the table and not compromising for others. So Dare to Lead, Brene Brown, you cannot go wrong. Yeah, I would say um, Think Big, Act Small by Jason Jennings. It's uh, a book regarding like the, the, you know, the traditions that large companies really focus on to generate revenue and how they really need to refocus their priorities back into where their startup spirit was. You know, firing up the sales team with empty, any empty promises and cutting costs and downsizing. Um, you know, there's better ways to do that. Um, and it really helps you bring back to the people and people prioritize when you think as if you were a startup once again. Because at that point, you're focusing on the people who are driving you to drive your revenue in your business. And Richard Branson actually says that quite a bit in his quotes um, and his messaging. It's really invest back into your people and they will invest back into your business. So... I think that's, you know, a great resource for those listening um, on our podcast today to take a look at. Nicole, do you have anything? Well, I got three. Okay. So when we started talking about boomers, I reached back to my bookshelf because I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about this class I took, but it is so important in this diversity and this uniqueness and understanding that people are different. Sticking Points by Hayden Shaw. It is all about how for the first time ever, there are four generations in the workforce and we're all different and we all have core values that are different and we all respond to things differently. And so I feel like anybody who is in a position of leadership, anybody who is in a position in HR can highly benefit from this because you work with people from all walks of life with all different values and and 
you know, mindsets. And so it's so important to understand how we can all come together regardless of that. The second one is Talk Like Ted. So this book was originally designed right about public speaking tips and things like that. But I think it's even more important for leaders because our words carry so much weight. And this idea that why are TED Talks so effective? Why do we all love them? So I feel like if we can adopt this as leaders and mentors, it will go a long way in inspiring people and creating that culture of shaking things up a little bit and being heard. So I love this one. And the last one, and just like you have an author crush on Brene Brown, I have a huge author crush on Simon Sinek. I'm obsessed with that man. Simon, if you're out there, I love you. Leaders eat last. Dear God, this changed my life, both as an entrepreneur and as a leader in corporate America. This understanding that you take care of your people first and they will then serve you with all the loyalty in the world. Instead of demanding it, you will get it simply by being a good human, right? Every single person, if you lead one person in life, right? I don't care if you're a tiny, tiny business and you have one employee or you're a massive corporation and you have thousands, every single person who interacts with an employee should always read Leaders Eat Last. So those are my my three. Okay, so um, Maria, I don't know how we've wrapped up. So I'm gonna turn it over to you now. You know, I think... People who are listening, all of you that are listening today, I think the most critical component, there's obviously a couple of pieces we mentioned and taking that back, I I think it's most critical for us to identify our, our own values as individuals working for organizations and as those listening on the call, as people leaders, as department heads, as human resources, as executives, again, if you're your own executive of your own company, um, like we are at Real Talent, we have to identify what our priorities, what our values are, and really prioritize our people. And you know, today's segment, we mentioned a lot about why people are leaving in a max, mass exodus out of corporate America and why they're trying to work for themselves because they value what they believe in. And if we start working uh, you know, amongst one another, obviously, there's not going to be a complete clear out of corporate America. That's always going to be a need in some sort of capacity. And that's why we're here for you at Real Talent to really help you, again, get out of your way, think strategically, walk through a different door, even though you're walking through the same door every day at your company, help you get a different lens. And so, you know, a couple of pieces for you to really think about today as as we go through you know, next steps on pieces, obviously go to realtalent.com and check out our resources, create your own resources to help elevate your game. uh, If you're working in corporate America today, and what resources are going to challenge you to become a better people leader or focus on your people. And then again, spend some time really investing that into your people or creating a plan. Um, so I want to thank my business partner, Michelle. I want to thank Nicole Metzel for joining us today. Um, make sure you check out um, her branding, Hot Mess Success, and really give back uh, to our, our small businesses as well as, you know, uh, investing 
in your talent. So thank you so much for both of you for joining and thank you all for listening today. You all have a wonderful day. Thanks.